Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today's show is about the microbiome. New research tells us that the microbes that are present during pregnancy, birth, and postpartum can have an effect on the development of diseases such as asthma, diabetes, lupus, colitis, and celiac disease. Dr. Rodney Dietert is here to tell us how you can encourage a proper seating of your baby's body to help fend off these maladies. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by the first eight days of being a mom, a day-by-day manual on taking care of the new mom as well as her newborn. Get a 10% discount by going to thefirst8days.com slash birthful. That's with the number eight, thefirst8days.com slash birthful. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, mamas and mamas-to-be. I want to thank you once again for all the love you're giving the show. And here's a quick reminder that it would be super helpful if you could rate the show on iTunes. And to do that, go to birthful.com slash review, click on the view and iTunes link, and then click on ratings and reviews and give us as many starts as you think we deserve. So all it takes is one link and three clicks starting from birthful.com slash review. I will be ever grateful. And there's even a little video in there to help you understand what, how to do it. So thank you. So today I will be talking to Dr. Rodney Dieter about the newborn's microbe. And Dr. Rodney is professor of immunotoxicology at Cornell University in Ithaca, New York, and has been on the Cornell faculty for 38 years. He has written extensively on early life environmental risk factors and programming of later life, non-communicable diseases, which are also known as chronic diseases. He's also the co-author of the book, Strategies for Protecting Your Child's Immune system, which he wrote with, he co-wrote with his wife. More recently, Rodney has focused on the role of the microbiome in lifelong health and disease and the importance of insurance that each child has a healthy, robust microbiome. You may know him from the award-winning documentary film, Microbirth, that came out in 2014. And he also has a new book about the microbiome coming out in 2016, titled The Human Superorganism. Rodney is originally from San Antonio, Texas, and his favorite hobby is swing dancing. Rodney, welcome. Thank you, Adriana. It's such a pleasure to join you today. I'm so happy you're here. So before we jump into the microbiome stuff, how did you get involved in swing dancing? I took it up uh, as a midlife hobby. I was looking for a way to stay physically fit and also, also to socialize at the same time. And uh, if you've ever watched a lot of people swing dancing for hours, you'll see that they exert a lot of energy. Uh, They have great fun dancing with each other, change partners, and everybody gets on the floor and dances. So it it was just a beautiful and wonderful hobby, and I wish I'd taken it up 10 or 15 years earlier. Mm -hmm. That sounds super fun. I have, I think, are you familiar with the events that they have here in Rochester, New York for swing dancing? I have danced in Rochester and used to compete. In fact, my only success really in competition was over at Swing Niagara in the Buffalo Niagara Falls area. Oh my goodness, I might have to check this out. It sounds like a lot of fun. So getting into this microbiome thing, can you explain what it is? Because it said that's to at least to a lot of us that are, you know, to me and to the listeners is kind of a new word. 
the microbiome really are all of the microorganisms. That's the bacteria, the viruses, the fungi uh, that live within us and on us, that share our body. They are uh, our co-partners in the ecosystem that we are, basically. And that includes thousands of different species. Mm-hmm. And, and I I did get and have the chance to watch the film Microbi- Microbirth, and it said that we're about 90% bacteria? Do you... That's right. We're, Does... we're 90% by cell numbers, um, uh, microbes, including mainly bacteria, but also, again, uh, the other um, viruses and fungi. And we're 99% or more uh, by genes. So the gene number actually... We're only one percent mammalian, which is really quite remarkable. Wow, that kind of put things into perspective. <laughs> it really does, and it's part of explaining the importance of the microbiome to our health. So, how does the microbiome biome affect our long t- long term health? Well, these uh, thousands of different organisms within us all have specific food that they want. They metabolize that food. Uh, they make a variety of different chemicals. They interact with us uh, in a, as a co-partner relationship. Some of them are very friendly to us, some of them less so, but they all interact with us. And so uh, as a result, we grow up together and we grow up to a mutual benefit together. And this is not just our experience, but it was the experience of our ancestors for centuries, literally centuries. And it's only been really recently that the, the Co-partnership has been threatened, I guess you'd say, by some of our uh, current day practices. So they have been called a second liver. The gut itself is called a second brain and with the microbes really driving that brain. They've been called another endocrine organ because of all the hormones and neurotransmitters they make. And they're interacting with 70% of our immune system, which is located in the gut. So they're in intimate interactions with that. And because they're metabolizing like crazy and making all these chemicals, they are influencing all our physiology in ways we never dreamed of. Mm-hmm. They seem like they have they have a big effect on our health. So what does this have to do or how does this connect with pregnancy and birth? Well, pregnancy is really the period. I mean, it's such a such a beautiful period where you have the capacity to influence two lives, the health of the mother and the health of the, the baby on the way. And as a result, really establishing that partnership for the, for the benefit of health of the mother and the baby uh, is win-win. I mean, it is absolutely the, the time and the window where you can have the maximum effect. Uh, and, and so it is really a period of focus. It's a new opportunity uh, for all those, in health, all those health professionals that are caring uh, for and working with women through the pregnancy and birth. So what are some ways in which the, the mom and, and joined with her care providers can try to improve or have a, a good microbiome that's conducive to better health as her baby forms? Right. So first of all, the, the mom is really the primary source of the baby's microbiome. And this happens, uh, obviously, with natural childbirth, vaginal delivery it ha- uh, is when the major seeding event occurs. There are influences during the pregnancy as well, where the mom's microbiome 
and microbes in the placenta probably have an influence on uh, the developing baby, but her microbiome is going to be the template. So you can envision, we've always thought of chromosomes that the mom and the dad donate to the baby, but keep in mind that's only 1% of the genes the baby will get. The rest of them are from the mom's microbes. And as a result, if the mom is carrying one of these one or more of these chronic diseases, we know that those are associated with essentially imbalanced microbiomes or, or microbiomes where the numbers and the kinds of bacteria are not ideal. They're really helping essentially lock into place those diseases. So that that's an opportunity for the, for looking at uh, what we call rebiosis or looking at, a, at, at an opportunity to change the balance of the mom's microbiome in such a way that she it benefits her own health, but it also benefits what she'll be donating to the baby in terms of those the 99% of the genes coming from the microbiome. Mm -hmm. So that's a, a fantastic window. And uh, there again are, is a lot of research coming out and a lot of uh, clinical trials that are suggesting ways to try to shift those imbalances in the bacteria to a healthier uh, state. And from my rudimentary knowledge, if I think back to the science that I studied while in school and all of this, I think ways that things can be influenced, we we learn that like pH really affects what can live and what doesn't. And so how are we talking about to to do this rebiosis where the mom rebalances her biome? Are we talking about nutritional changes? Are we talking about environmental changes? What what is what have you seen? There, the, there is uh, everything you mentioned and more. So there's no question that diet exerts a major influence. But you may have noticed that a lot of people uh, try different diets, and for example, if they have diabetes or they're they're overweight uh, or tending to obesity, it's very difficult for them to change. One of the reasons it's so difficult is that they're only changing the diet. They're not also changing the microbes in their gut. They're not changing the bacteria. And those microbes in the gut are calling for uh, foods that are different than are in the, the, the new diet, the new diet that would promote weight loss. So it's really beneficial if you can work both ends of that, if you can shift the diet, but at the same time look at, at probiotics, those are microbe, live microbes, live bacteria, uh, such as those in yogurts and certain fermented foods. Um, look at the opportunity to take those along with the kinds of foods that would support the growth of those particular bacteria or microbes. So that's really the strategy, or one of them, is a combined shift in diet along with trying to install in the gut uh, or elsewhere the microbes that you then are feeding with that healthy diet. Um, so that's that's the ideal uh, when that is possible. Now, and I know, for example, that some fermented foods um, can have some difficulty for pregnant moms. We're always telling moms to eat food that's been pasteurized and food that because they're trying to avoid listeriosis or, or uh, you know, bad bacteria. How can a mom sort of balance that with Obviously, yogurt would give probiotics or having um, 
maybe a, a probiotics given directly by her care provider, but how to balance those fermented foods and foods that could join along the probiotics to better the gut flora? Um, if the if food safety is a concern, then it may be better simply to go with uh, probiotics. And again, they're capsules, they're formulations, mixes of them um, are often um, looking better in trials than single probiotics, just because, again, you you, you have a variety that can be installed and can shift the metabolism. So you're really looking at, at shifting the signals that, the, that our immune system, our brain, our endocrine systems, our, our liver are seeing and shifting the, the uh, chemicals that the gut microbes, for example, are making. And you can do that by changing the diet, but also installing some of these probiotic bacteria um, as well. And so it can be through supplementation, again, working with a healthcare provider on that. Uh, if, if food safety is not a concern with the fermented foods, they are another source, uh, potentially. But they have to be live cultures, so they have to be the kind of fermented food that's been refrigerated and maintained and not, not heat killed. Otherwise, you, you really don't have the, uh, the microbe actually being transferred. Right, so it would be something like uh, sauerkraut or miso yes. or kimchi yes. or yes. I would love all those things. <laughs> again, that's not to say that a, a given one will work well for a given mom. You know, again, it, it, it's something that uh, you came from different cultures and those different cultures actually had different fermented, fermented foods. Each one of them had their own favorites and uh, that's what our ancestors used to see actually for microbes. Mm-hmm. Is there a way to know which foods are more favorable for a certain for type of mom, or is there a test, maybe? No, we wish there were. That may come in the future. Uh, there are certainly analyses that are being performed of um, gut microbes, and they're being done usually on uh, fecal samples. Um, but again, that's only a snapshot of the the, the microbiome, and it doesn't even measure all of the things that are residing in the gut. Um, so it, it gives you an idea, and you can look at at how you are shifting things, taking probiotics by getting those kind of analyses. I think there'll be more of that in the future, uh, quite frankly, and also looking at the metabolites. You can look at how the profiles shift in the metabolites with the diet change and the bacteria change. And so that's those are really going to be I think in the future, as important as uh, doing uh, blood chemistry now, or you know, a physician will look at your blood profile, well, they're going to be looking at your microbiome profile in the future. No mm -hmm. question. That's so, so interesting. That will be used, uh, but again, the problem is matching the mom and the, the right diet or the right food and the right probiotic. And to some extent, that is still a an individual personal match issue. So, so for uh, now... It's almost, it's almost that the mom needs to tell you, if her body is, is, you know, if that, if that really seems good for her body. I mean, we almost are getting that level of feedback at the moment. Right. And it, it, and we are talking about a sort of a lifestyle change, not just take this for a couple of weeks and be done with it. Right. Right. Ideally, ideally, because mm -hmm. it, it can boomerang back to the old pattern. Um, if you're not supporting a, a new grouping of microbes. But that is an opportunity, again, to look, again, if, if you have a mom with diabetes or a mom with asthma or a mom, any of these chronic diseases that are uh, connected with skewed microbiomes, clearly that would be an opportunity to make a change for the sake of the mom's health 
and for the sake of the baby as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and but those kind of changes can be done in at any age in any individual, elderly, um, in, in children, again. So it's just that pregnancy gives you a, a, a magical window, so to speak, where you can have a, a tremendous impact. Right, like you were saying, to, to affect two people at the same time. Absolutely. And to have this baby start brand new with hopefully a really good seeded microbiome. Absolutely, because you can imagine that it's, it's really important that the baby have the mom's microbiome, but it would be doubly useful if it's a healthy profile of a microbiome, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to one reflecting multiple chronic diseases. So... We talked about pregnancy and how diet is an aspect, um, and environment can also be an aspect, sort of exposure. I know you're really interested in toxic environments. Does that have about an equal weight in how it affects the, the microbiome? Uh, yes, I would say it's equal or, or slightly. Slightly, diet is extremely important. Mm -hmm. uh, that needs to be said. But the problem with the safety issue for environmental chemicals and even for drugs is keep in mind all the drugs that we take now that are deemed to be safe, they were never screened relative to safety for the microbiome, in a sense. They were screened um, with other criteria that usually did not include directly impact on our microbiome. So now we're finding that uh, statins, for example, and some heart medications like digoxin. Digoxin works only on a very narrow range, and it's tremendous variability in people. And, we, and it's now known that that variability is caused by the microbiome. And digoxin can either be toxic and kill a patient, or it can be ineffective because the dose that gets to the mammalian tissues is too low, or it can work beautifully. And that's completely dependent upon the profile of bacteria in the gut. So that's how important the, the microbiome is, is it literally determines whether drugs work or not in a given individual, whether they could be dangerous or not. And I think you're going to find new drugs are going to actually be made to work in concert with the microbiome. Whereas right now, we don't really know how safe they, many of them are. The same thing with environmental chemicals. There was a recent paper that came out saying that some food additives, such as the things that make ice cream smooth, all our milk products smooth, they're called emulsifiers. Mm -hmm. And they're so you don't have lumpy things in your gravy or in your ice cream. Um, turns out those are not, those are actually toxic, at least in the animal studies for the microbiome, um, and dangerously toxic. And what do they do? They do exactly what we see in terms of human disease. They create inflammation and promote obesity. So if you want to look for things that are contributing to obesity, those food additives would be one. And they're doing it not because they're unsafe for our, our mammalian tissues, but because they're unsafe for our gut bacteria. Hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm like thinking... Uh, we're lactose intolerant, so we don't do dairy much. So yes. I'm trying to think, what is how, how many emulsifiers do I eat? <laughs> You'd be surprised. There yeah. are a lot of things because people, and it's not, again, it's not that anyone was making poor decisions. They didn't know. They simply didn't know because they weren't considering the microbes. Exactly. And it's like you were saying, an opportunity and yes. an opportunity for moms to know this and then do what they can to give their baby. Like the moms are always trying to give the best to their babies. So give their Absolutely. babies 
a, a healthy start. Absolutely. So what about the birth itself? I know that that's a big event in being able to seed the microbiome. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Uh, in my opinion, birth is the single most important event for seeding the microbiome. It is the, the time in which the baby actually gets completed. So if you envision that the baby is really, even though you can't see those microbes, 90% by cells, 99% by genes, microbial. That coming largely from the mom in, in her donation, that during vaginal delivery, that is where the primary seeding event occurs. Most of the bacteria and microbes are coming from, uh, originally part of them from the gut, but through the, through the vaginal, uh, the vagina, through the birth canal, some from the skin, through skin-skin contact, that's very important as well, and then later on through breastfeeding and breast milk uh, in addition. That all contributes to the seeding, but the microbes that are obtained from vaginal delivery go directly into the gastrointestinal tract and establish the baby's gut microbiome. And that is what trains the immune system, trains the brain, helps those mature uh, correctly and appropriately and in balance. So it is unbelievably important. Now you can imagine that if you miss that seeding event, if the baby does not come down the birth canal and delivery is by cesarean section, then guess where the microbes come from? They come from the hospital or from the environment. Mm -hmm. So they come from the the people that are delivering the baby. They come, you know, they don't necessarily come from the mom. Or if they do, they come from her skin. And the only option for what goes in the gut or skin bacteria, those don't belong in the gut. So things don't work as well when that happens. Mm -hmm. So that's really what the evidence says is that the baby misses the seeding of it. The baby will get microbes, but they won't be the ones that were intended for that baby. And that starts a, a real problem. Uh, in fact, I've termed it a form of a new form of birth defect because the baby is not complete as we would envision. We just never realized that until recently because right. you can't see you can't see any problem. Uh, you know, it looks like cesarean delivery delivers it, and it, and it does in in one sense. For the short term, it's unbelievably safe, but for the long term, the baby's not complete, and that has health ramifications. In these chronic diseases that you are talking about, which could you list some of them? Because we didn't, I, you mentioned diabetes, you mentioned obesity, you mentioned. Sure. sure. So, so these chronic diseases, or they're also called non-communicable diseases because they're not transmitted by infection, uh, are usually for life. Most of them are not cured. They're managed by physicians. So you have drugs, you have medical treatment, usually for life. Very few of them are cured. And these are diseases and conditions such as autism, uh, diabetes, obesity, uh, heart disease, all the cancers, asthma, food allergies, food intolerances, intolerances, um, inflammatory bowel disease, uh, multiple sclerosis, autoimmune thyroiditis, all the, the 150 autoimmune diseases and conditions that are known. Um, psoriasis uh, again it is it is remarkable it touches every system every organ um, ovarian cancer again um, the these are all arising from um, really some common 
issues, with problems with their physiology, with what the immune system sees as friend or foe, and then what happens as the baby grows and matures. And you will see these diseases almost propagate. So a child with asthma has about eight different uh, other chronic diseases that that baby is more likely to, to develop than a child without asthma. And you can take any one of these, type 1 diabetes, and you see the same thing, that there are predictable diseases that that child is at an elevated risk for as the, as the baby ages and becomes 20, 30, 40, 50 years of age. Well, sort of if they get one, then the, the risk to get, get all the other ones. That's right. that's right. If you reach my age, you're likely to have at least two. At least two. The majority of U.S. citizens do. So uh, they propagate. And we have not been successful in stopping it. This is the number. They are the number one killer in the world. 63% of all mortality in the world are chronic diseases or non-communicable diseases. And it's an epidemic that's growing. So you may hear about the asthma epidemic or the autism epidemic or the diabetes obesity epidemic, but they're all part of this larger chronic disease epidemic. They all have been increasing in prevalence. And we've kind of been at a loss to do something about it. And so really one of my messages is we have the tool to do something about it through the microbiome. Absolutely. And so this makes it crucial. It's birth is a crucial moment. <laughs> and, and, and birth Absolutely. choices are crucial and, and uh, trying to avoid that primary cesarean for sure. But well, and do, and do again, cesarean can be medically necessary. Right. There is no way. I mean, if it's medically necessary, it should happen. But OBGYNs and some researchers now, clinical researchers have been using vaginal swabs and and have been seeding essentially from the mother's vagina uh, right after the baby's delivered. And so there are strategies where working with health professionals uh, who are helping the mom deliver the baby, you may have an opportunity for the mom still to seed that baby and not to miss that necessarily. And it's not totally risk-free. There are pathogens, there are bacteria that can be an issue. So it's a matter of balancing uh, risk and benefit. But... Um, it is something where those conversations should happen, really, for moms that, that need to have a cesarean. Mm -hmm. And I know that, um, especially if it's a non-emergency cesarean, when you have a little bit more time, um, after watching the film Microbirth, there was one strategy that was explained there. Could you go through that strategy? Well, I should say I'm not a, uh, I'm not a physician, so I can go through some of the biology, but I would default to uh, uh, Dr. Dominguez-Bello who in the film who explained it, I believe, very beautifully in the film, uh, is far more qualified than I am. She's doing that in her clinical research mm -hmm. and, and others as well. But basically, it's to take a sterile swab and to collect the vagina micro microbes uh, before delivery, hopefully, again, before antibiotics are administered, because keep in mind, we haven't talked about antibiotics yet, but they have a risk we've never appreciated that for what they do to the microbiome. So to collect the vaginal mic microbes to essentially put them in a sterile test tube, and then once the baby's delivered, essentially to swab that over the baby, as if the baby had come down the birth canal and been uh, essentially had that as this beautiful envelopment or, um, that the baby is wearing now, essentially the new uh, the new wardrobe, the first wardrobe of microbes. Mm -hmm. And literally, the baby baby will swallow that. It will again, it will be installed in the gut, and um, and that is. Uh, is really the way the baby gets all that 90 to 99 percent 
that is, is required for com- being complete. And I thought that was a really interesting way of figuring out a solution. Oh, of... it's very simple and beautiful. Yeah. And, and I think, again, the, the researchers need the credit for that, you know, for doing that and for piloting these trials and, uh, and others who are using the same, same kind of strategy. So uh, there are there are solutions, but uh, again, the, the importance is to recognize that that uh, we really need the baby seeded with the, the, a healthy microbiome as early as possible. Absolutely, and I will put, uh, in the show notes. I'll put links to um, research by Dr. Dominguez and, and where to find out more about that because I it is important. Not everybody can avoid a cesarean, but no, that doesn't mean not. that they can't there have some strategies to better seed the baby's microbiome. Right. It's, it's a matter that, that, that those conversations uh, ideally should happen with the health, health professionals that are aiding with the pregnancy and the birth. So let's talk about the, the antibiotics. That, Absolutely. Uh, those dreaded antibiotics. Tell me how yeah. you feel about them. Well, antibiotics have saved countless lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I have all the admiration in the world for Alexander Fleming and others who invented them, saved lives throughout much of the 20th century. Uh, so antibiotics are needed, uh, but there is a risk and a benefit. And they are, I view antibiotics as an incomplete treatment. They are a wonderful therapy when needed. They are incomplete and they incomplete because they kill our co-partner microbes. They kill bacteria that were never intended to be killed, along with killing the pathogen that is making a person sick. So if you are, um, are, are treated for a sinus infection, as I've been many times, uh, um, countless years before I finally figured out how to rebiose myself or how to change my microbiome, um, that if that happens, if you've been treated for, for other infections, uh, and if cleared the infection, you may have noticed that a few weeks later, you often get sick with something else. Now, there's a reason for that. And the reason is you've cleared out a lot of microbes, a lot of microbes that were actually keeping other pathogens from gaining a foothold. And you've done nothing to restore the balance. So you've wiped out a big chunk of our co-partners with the antibiotics, and the physician goes merrily along, not knowing that the patient is at more risk or later other diseases than ever before, including things like allergies and asthma. So there are studies that show that the number of rounds of antibiotics in, a, in an infant's first year of life directly relate to the likelihood of allergies and asthma at age six, for example. The more rounds of antibiotics you have, the more likely you're going to have allergic disease in that child because you've damaged the microbiome and you've done nothing to repair it. So it's really important to counterbalance or to have a probiotic strategy that goes with antibiotics. Uh, And I would contend again that in the near future, physicians are simply not going to prescribe antibiotics unless they've got a complementary plan to put the microbiome back in a healthy way. And I think that's really important to take into account because, yes, antibiotics save life and they and they are invaluable to us. But at the same time, because, you know, there hasn't been a thought of how it affects other things, their use has been a little bit rampant as well. Yes. Well, for example, one of the biggest 
prescriptions is for ear infections. And it turns out there there is evidence. I mean, you'll see hospitals calling for reduced use of antibiotics and physician associations calling for reduced use because they're now finding that if if the physician and parents might have waited only three or four more days, a very high percentage of those resolve. They may not be bacterial in the first place. And so, you know, it, it's sort of a situation where you show up, the physician does what the physician can, and often that's a prescription or an antibiotic. But in, in, a, in a reasonable percentage of those cases, it may not have been needed. And, and as a result, then you destroy the microbiome for nothing. So the, 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 uh, that's a real problem. So they are actually calling for a, an attempt to use it more judiciously in the first place. But I think we're also going to see that whenever it's used, you're going to have to put back co-partner-friendly bacteria. You've got to put them in place or you've left the patient very vulnerable. And you just don't want to do that to children, for example. You know, they're growing, they're maturing, they need those in place uh, because you're really presenting an increased risk of, of chronic diseases later in life. Right. And that would be, so, so do like a combination of antibiotics with probiotics. Yes. Yes. Good. I think we'll be seeing that in the fairly near future. So I have a question of a, so this case study, for example, um, a mom that has, that's GBS positive. So she's going to the, the de facto procedure there is to have two rounds of antibiotics into her every four hours. At least that's what we do over here mm-hmm. in, in Rochester before the baby's born, sort of to minimize the risk of contact with that, that virus while being born through the birth canal. So the baby is going through the birth canal, but received a dose of antibiotics just before. How does the microbiome seeding do in that situation? Well, it is impacted. Uh, The the antibiotics do what they're supposed to do. They wipe out the the vaginal and other bacteria uh, to a large extent and nothing's necessarily done to replace that. So the baby is getting, the baby is protected against the pathogen. And, you know, again, I'm not a physician. That is probably needed, but not seeing the baby has its own, uh, effectively has its own problems. So if the mom's getting antibiotics ahead of time, then again, it's a situation where you literally would want to try to restore things as much as you could. Uh, and I think we'll be seeing that, but I can't say that the the therapies and strategies are all in place at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, very few moms get, you know, have a, a, an awareness or in the days after the birth or even immediately with the birth of starting to take probiotics um, to counterbalance that, that those rounds of antibiotics. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, moms, moms have not known. Uh, re, uh, physicians have not known. Uh, my own personal physician is is wonderfully asking me for papers and, and reading um, a tremendous amount on it because it provides so much hope for more effective um, therapies, again, against chronic diseases. So I think once people know, then you can start to plan differently. And if, if antibiotics are needed, uh, great, but try to try to restore the microbiome in some way. Uh, it, 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 it's really important. And another thing you mentioned that helps with this, with seeding of the microbiome, is breastfeeding. Yes, very definitely. Breast milk is is almost a miracle um, because if you look at it, it has a lot of things in it 
that we simply can't digest. Our mammalian gut and our cells can't use it. Now, why would you have a natural food in the mom that the baby's mammalian cells can't use? And the, the answer is they're not for the baby's mammalian cells. They're specifically and exclusively for the microbes. That's why it's there. And these are called oligosaccharides. They're sort of or complex sugars. And mm -hmm. I don't mean sugars like sucrose. I mean uh, other kinds of sugars in, in, in large complexes that feed the microbes. They're an energy source for specific microbes that need to be at that time uh, in predominance in the baby's gut. And the, again, there is a timing and a sequence of change of the baby's microbes as the baby matures over the first few years of life. And breast milk is absolutely vital in terms of what it provides as a food source, not just for the baby's physiological systems, but, but almost more importantly for the microbes. They are going to drive the maturation of our immune system, of the brain, so it functions normally, uh, of the endocrine organs, and of the gut. So lots of marvelous things. That the image though made me reminded me of what we do with yeast to get it to get going before <laughs> before making bread. Yeah. Feed it a bunch of sugar. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And each each different bacteria wants a different kind of food source. So you literally with breast milk, you're selecting for what needs to be in the baby at that age to help our 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 the baby systems mature. In effect, a way to think about it is that the, the genes the baby gets from the chromosomes are not sufficient for that baby actually to survive alone without microbes. If you had no microbes whatsoever, you would really not have a human that did well at all. And that experiment's been done in animals time and time again. They need microbes because those microbes make our many of our vitamins, for example, that we can't make. Hmm. That's so interesting. And I know, again, I recommend that people go watch the film Microbirth as, as well. And I'm excited about your new book being published to read up on that. Um, Thank you. Yes. But it, the thought, one of the things that was commented in the, in the film was that our microbiomes were so much more expansive and, and richer years and years ago that we've kind of like narrowed down and, and, and killed a lot of our, our the bacteria that used to be there. Well, we have. I mean, the, the 20th century, which wasn't that long ago, you know, 15 years ago, right? Uh, the, the mantra was, uh, it's us versus them. You know, uh, these, these microbes are evil and we should kill them. And that was really, again, uh, not intentionally, but just because we didn't know any better. That was the strategy, us versus them. Our immune system should be killing all the microbes, and anything we have that kills the microbes, well, that's fine. Um, some of them are pathogens and, and can be a threat to us. But we viewed all of them as in the same category, generally, and that was a big mistake. So as a result, we've gotten away from eating fermented foods. Um, my own family, again, and, and part of the, in the new book that's coming out, I tell the story of, what's happened over the generations and how my family lost its connection to fermented foods. Um, and, and that's happened a great, uh, a, a great deal. And so we're now only realizing we need probiotics and we need the, the prebiotics, the, the food that feeds the bacteria, uh, specifically. We need that in our diet and, um, uh, we can get that in a variety of ways. Some supplementation, fermented foods or otherwise, but we need it. 
And we have lost that. We've lost it through technology, through drugs and chemicals that we didn't know were destroying the microbiome, uh, through overuse of antibiotics. Antibacterial soap. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, you want to you want to be uh, uh, sterile, right? But you don't. You don't want to be sterile. Sterile a sterile animal is a dead end, essentially. And mm-hmm. uh, you want those microbes in place. You need their vitamins. You need their metabolites. Your, your brain won't develop normally without it. Your immune system won't. Your immune system will will self destruct. It will destroy your own tissues with autoimmunity and inflammatory disease if it doesn't grow up with those microbes. So that's that's the reason it's really important. It's the only way the immune system learns how to exist in the environment, how to be seamless in the environment. Mm-hmm. So, so we, we need to we need to think of ourselves like a coral reef or a tropical rainforest. We're managing that, and we have lots of co-partners in in, in keeping healthy in that regard. So uh, we have that many species that we're managing within our body. To have our, our variant and multiple ecosystem going exactly on and right. not mono exactly right. monocrops. <laughs> so you want a rich, diverse ecosystem. Yeah. With a lot of those chronic diseases, what people see is it becomes less diverse. Not always, but in a lot of cases, it, it gets skewed and you're missing things. And that's why putting those back, making them more prominent, can, can really be part of the strategy for addressing those conditions and diseases. Mm-hmm. So we talked about during pregnancy, figuring out nutrition and paying attention to toxic environments and toxic chemicals and, and, and even like cleaners just to yep. be mindful of the, of the microbiome of the mom. And then we talked during birth that vaginal birth without um, rounds of antibiotics would be optimal. Would be optimal when possible. When yeah. possible. And then and breastfeeding right away. And... But every step of the way when those things can't happen. So what about, let's bring it all together and say you have a baby who got round of antibiotics during birth um, and it was ended up being a C-section and had to have some formula right away. Mm-hmm. What... And there are, those, there are those individuals who are healthy. So I do not mean to imply mm-hmm. that a baby delivered by cesarean that was formula fed is going to get one of these diseases. That is, there are examples clearly where people do not. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of the probability. It's a matter of increasing your likelihood of getting those diseases with each of those problems. Not seeded because you had cesarean, you were cesarean born, formula fed, um, rounds of antibiotics in childhood. All of those add to the risk and increase the likelihood of heart disease, cancer, obesity, autoimmune disease, and the like, every one of those. So it's a matter of trying to reduce that risk when it is possible. Mm -hmm. That's really the strategy, is reducing the risk. And then if those things did happen, ways to try to rebalance the microbiome is are through probiotics and maybe even even reestablishing breastfeeding or getting some some breast milk pumped and expressed and being mindful of that? Yes, yes. And again, formula manufacturers are now aware of the importance of these sugars. So there are immune factors breast milk conveys. It has, there are lots of things in breast milk that are really wonderful. So in my opinion, formula does, is not equivalent uh, at the moment, even with supplementation. But they are attempting to supplement with various 
uh, prebiotics to support the microbiome. So they are trying to improve it all the time. And it may be, I suspect that will continue to happen. Um, so any way that you can support a, a balanced, healthier microbiome at any age, including in, the, in, in people my age, you know, as you, you become seniors, that's really important. It's just that during pregnancy and the first couple of years of an infant's life, it has that much more power. It's that much more powerful to make the change because you literally program the immune system and the brain and the other systems for a good, healthy development. Otherwise, you're trying to correct problems that, that are already programmed in later in life. And already all the listeners that we have are doing better because they're aware of this. So they, it's that mindfulness, and they're going to think about it now and, and, and pay attention to the microbiome. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Information it gives you opportunities to, to think of ways that you can reduce risk, that you can support uh, the whole human, the, the superorganism, our, our own coral reef. Fantastic. I love all your research and all the information that you have and how you are pioneering this sort of new landscape of who we are as a species. So thank you for all you do. And if listeners want to uh, follow up and connect with you and see what you're up to right now, how can they do that? Well, uh, if anybody's really interested, they are you know, they can email me. I'll try my best to reply. My email is rrd, number one, at cornell.edu. I'm not a physician, so I won't provide medical advice, obviously, but, but biological information. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they can follow me on uh, www.rodneydeter.com in terms of my activities and where I'm lecturing and, and uh, have, have presentations and, and uh, again, publications as well. And then I'm also on the Cornell website under the faculty. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. So again, if they're interested, they can connect with me there and again, follow, uh, follow activities. So I really appreciate this opportunity, Adriana. And uh, uh, again, look forward to people using this information. Hopefully, if they find, find a piece that's useful to put it to good use. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Rodney, for being part of the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Mamas, I love to hear from you, so share with me your thoughts, and if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Stay in touch by following Birthful on Facebook or Twitter, and even better, become a part of the Birthful community by subscribing at birthful.com. You'll get access to bonus episodes and other exclusive goodies. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous Birthful Library. Happy listening.